Please turn to Genesis chapter 40. Tonight we do continue in our study of Genesis. And at the beginning of our last study, we read Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And while Joseph did not have this promise explicitly, we saw evidence that Joseph held firm to his belief in God, despite having gone through potentially crushing circumstances. These circumstances included being nearly killed by his brothers, being sold to Midianite traders, and then eventually being sold to Potiphar at the beginning of chapter 39. And while the rise in influence and responsibility that Joseph experienced in Potiphar's house may have seemed to Joseph as the good or the ultimate uh, sort of the ultimate good that God was working in him because eventually he did become Potiphar's right hand man, that notion came crashing down as he had to endure the temptation from Potiphar's wife. And then after having done the right thing and resisting that temptation through refusal, retreat, and ultimately running when she sought to forcibly seduce him, he then was falsely accused of attempted rape and ultimately was placed in prison on this false charge. Yet, once in prison, we saw that Joseph again rose in influence and responsibility. While the scripture clearly indicated that Joseph's success was due to God's being with him, we know that his not being crushed by all of the difficulties that he experienced up to that point, and even while he was in prison, was also a result of God being with him. God preserves his people. And while Joseph certainly couldn't see it or know it, the difficulties experienced, the suffering he experienced were all a part of God's working together for his good and working something into Joseph as well. Romans 5, verses 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We have certainly seen much suffering in the ten years of Joseph's life that we've studied since chapter 37, and we'll see more suffering tonight. But what we will also see tonight is that the is that the, the character that God has formed and is forming in Joseph, which is evidenced by an enduring trust in the Lord all throughout this chapter. And so in honor of God's word, <clears throat> please stand if you are able to read the first three verses of chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Please be seated. 
Tonight we will see trust in the Lord declared, we will see trust in the Lord displayed, and trust in the Lord tested again. First, trust in the Lord declared. The first three verses begin by saying, sometime after this. After what? The after what is from chapter 39, verse 20, which tells us that Joseph's master, Potiphar, took Joseph and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And also, after the time in which Joseph was put in charge of the prison, by the keeper of the prison, which we read in verse 22. And even though Joseph is given this elevated status in the prison, we shouldn't think that Joseph's experience in prison was one of comfort and ease. We read in Psalm 105, verses 16 through 22, it says, When he, God, summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So this time in prison was not uh, sort of one of these sort of low, low security prisons where he was uh, experiencing comfort and ease. No, this was a very difficult circumstance for him. And so after some time in the prison, we're told that the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt commit an offense against the king. Scripture is silent as to what that offense actually is. But we also know that the cupbearer and baker should not be seen as insignificant people in Pharaoh's court. See, in this culture, what a king ate and what he drank were matters of life and death. The easiest way to assassinate a king would be to slip some poison into what he was drinking or to slip something into what he was served as a meal. And therefore, the cupbearer and baker had to be men who were trusted by the king because his life depended on their loyalty. Further, the cupbearer's proximity to the king typically developed into a very close relationship. This close relationship could even develop to a point where the cupbearer would become a confidant of the king and someone who could sway the king's decision making. Think of Nehemiah, who recounted the condition of uh, Jerusalem and his concern for the people was the impetus for the king, allowing Nehemiah to return back to Jerusalem. Similarly, the baker's role was an important one also because bread was a staple in the Egyptian diet, and bread and pastries even played a role in the religious life of the Egyptians. Often, breads and pastries were placed uh, in Egyptian uh, burial sites, and particularly the burial rites of kings, and so the baker should not be seen as someone who is insignificant. And further, the text refers to these two men as Pharaoh's officers, as the chief cupbearer and chief baker. So they commit an offense against the king. The king gets angry with them. And in this instance, we see the truth of a saying that you may have heard before, Rex is Lex. Rex, which means king in Latin, is Lex, which means law. It means that the king is law. So they offended Pharaoh. There was no hearing. There was no court of appeals. 
He basically put them into prison, and they should feel fortunate, depending on what the offense actually was, that they were not executed. So in this instance, the, the cupbearer and the uh, baker are placed in the same prison where Joseph is being held. We're told that the place where the king's prisoners were confined is where they were held. The same as Joseph. Look at verse 4. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Verse 3, we're told that the prison was in the house of the captain of the guard. And in verse 4, we're told that the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to attend the cupbearer and the baker. We know who the captain of the guard was. Was it? Did I hear someone? <laughs> who was it? Yes, that Potiphar. It's Potiphar. Further confirmation of Potiphar's identity is shown in the fact that the place where Joseph is being held is referred to as his master's house. Joseph only had one master in Egypt. And so Potiphar's appointment of Joseph to these high-profile prisoners gives further evidence to the likelihood that Potiphar did not believe the charges that were brought against Joseph. Further, this time in custody that is spoken of was something close to a year. Joseph was about 27 when he was placed in prison. And in two years after the events in our passage, he will stand before Pharaoh. We're told in chapter 41 that Joseph was 30 when he entered Pharaoh's service. So all of these things that we have read in these, in these few chapters have, have spanned almost the, or just the over a decade. And so in these first few verses of the chapter, we see something of the character of Joseph, and that brings us to our first question for the evening. What characteristics are seen in Joseph in verses 4 through 8, and how do these characteristics display Joseph's enduring trust in God? What characteristics are seen, and how do these characteristics display Joseph's enduring trust in God? Yes, friends. I don't know what you call them, but in verse 4, it was that it said um, that Joseph, the captain of the guard, appointed Joseph to be with him and attended them. And they continued for some time in custody, but he didn't work out with his question of how for all people who put him in jail, regardless of his knowing that he should be moved and he could have, he should, like, I know I would. Against her, but he didn't. He still, um, he still 
anything else? No. Go ahead, Terry. That he was sensitive to the baker, and because he knows they were troubled, he wanted to know how could he help, what was okay. going on with him, and he asked them. So okay. he's caring for them. Okay. Anyone else? Verses 4 through 8. Yes, Debbie. Um, he also um, was relying on God because he said, Do not interpretations belong to God. Okay. And then he asked him to tell him the Right. Anyone else? Correct, correct, and correct. <laughs> and in the right order. <laughs> Verse 4. We see that Joseph had a consistency in his hard work and good reputation. In Genesis 39.22, we're told that the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, Joseph was the one who did it. In this instance, the captain of the guard, Potiphar himself, puts Joseph in charge of Pharaoh's officials who are in prison. Joseph didn't have a good reputation. If Joseph was not faithful to do what he was responsible to do, you think that Potiphar would have assigned him that duty. These were high-profile prisoners. And Potiphar, in being in charge of this prison over the prison guard, or the, uh, the, the keeper of the prison, wanted these prisoners likely to be taken care of so that there was not a bad report given if they were somehow released. This is a continuation of God's being with Joseph and also showed that Joseph had not allowed the difficult circumstances to deter him from performing his responsibilities in the prison. Which begs the question, do you continually work as unto the Lord? Colossians 3, verses 23 to 24, remaining consistent in your pursuit of excellence at work, even when circumstances, either at or outside of work, are difficult. You seek to maintain a good reputation at work for the glory of God. So, characteristic one, consistency in his hard work and good reputation. In verses 6 and 7, as Terry said, a concern for others, or empathy. Joseph sees that the cupbearer and the baker are troubled, and he asks them what was troubling them. Because Joseph was trusting in the Lord during his own difficult circumstances, he had the capacity to be concerned about others. He sees they are troubled and asks them, why are your faces downcast today? One of the temptations that we go through in suffering is to become insular. It's to focus in on our own circumstances and not to be concerned about the circumstances of others. Even if it's obvious that those around us are going through difficulty, are suffering in some way, we're tempted not to go out of our way to ask what's going on in that other person's life. Do you look beyond your own suffering to be able to recognize and respond to the suffering of those around you? Do you seek to love others as Christ has loved you, John 13, 34, and that is with a sacrificial love. And finally, in verse 8, we see that Joseph has a confidence 
in God. After Joseph asks them why they are troubled, the cupbearer and baker indicate in the first part of chapter 8 that they have had dreams and that there is no one to interpret them. We should note that dreams and their interpretation played a major role in Egyptian life. In the Egyptian culture, there was much weight given to dreams and their interpretation, so much so that there were people who were trained professionals in interpreting dreams. By having one's dream rightly interpreted, not only would you be aware of something good to come, but there might be a possibility that you could counter some negative event that an interpreter brought to you. No doubt, if the cupbearer and baker had not been in prison, they would have had access to an interpreter of these dreams for them. And in response to their indication of their predicament of having these dreams but no interpreter, Joseph asked rhetorically, do not interpretations belong to God? Here Joseph uses the name Elohim for God, which points to God's rule over all things. Is it no wonder that just as easily as Joseph gave glory to God in this instance in prison, that he was the reason that Potiphar, if you remember back to chapter 39, it said Potiphar realized that Yahweh was with Joseph. He was willing to testify of the greatness of God before others. When we're suffering, we're tempted to have our confidence in God shaken to its core, the point to where we cannot openly declare his goodness. Think also about Joseph's relationship with dreams. Though he did not show great relational wisdom in how he interacted with his brothers, was it not his dreams that increased the animosity of his brothers toward him? When Joseph approached his brothers in Dothan, we read in 37.19, they, Joseph's brothers, said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. So the impact of dreams in Joseph's life has not been good. Yet, he sees these men troubled by their dreams, and not having anyone to interpret them for them, and although his dreams have not come to pass, he expresses a confidence in God as the one who could provide the interpretation they were seeking. Do we continually express a confidence in God during our times of difficulty, during our trials, is our testimony that of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him. He strengthens me. Can we say that? in the midst of our suffering? Can we say that we can endure the difficulty of whatever it is that we're facing because God is our confidence? Joseph had this confidence, which enabled him to ask the cupbearer 
and the and the baker to tell him their dreams. Which then allows him not only to declare his trust in the Lord and his actions and his words, but next we see his display of this trust in the Lord, his interpreting their dreams. Look at verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me, when it is well with you, and please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. As we study this section of the passage, it's important for us to understand that although dreams play a significant role in this narrative, dreams are not the primary means by which God speaks to his people. In those instances where God spoke to his people by a dream, think of Jacob at Bethel, think of even Joseph, who we looked at or studied in Matthew 1 this past Sunday, the interpretations were given to them. The message was clearly given to them. It is actually only in this passage, and then in Daniel, where we see uninterpreted dreams of pagans being used to advance God's purposes. God speaks clearly to his people. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our, to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God has given us his word, the Bible, which is God's complete revelation to mankind of who he is and all that is required of us to be brought into right relationship with him. Remember what the Apostle Peter, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, wrote in 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 19. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, 
For we were with him on the holy mountain. Think of this. The Apostle Peter, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who saw Christ in his glory, and he heard the voice of the Father speak, then says this in verse 19, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. This Bible is that prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. God can use anything that he desires to communicate. But he has given us his word. We as Christians should not view dreams as the usual way that God speaks to us. We have his word. In this passage, though, God not only uses dreams to advance his purposes, but uses this whole situation to display Joseph's trust in him. And that brings us to our next question. In what ways was Joseph's trust in the Lord displayed in verses 12 through 19? Verses 12 through 19. Titus and then Enoch. Correct. And the right order in my notes. <laughs> Note the clarity with which Joseph interprets the dreams. There's no, it could be, it might be. No, he says, this is the interpretation. He clearly displays this imagery and what it means. Verse 8 of our chapter, Joseph declared that interpretations of dream be dreams belong to God. In verses 12 through 19, he displays that confidence with no hesitation. Enoch. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Anyone else? Yes, please. Correct. Joseph's trust in the Lord was displayed in his interpretation of the baker's dream. Because he did not shy away from telling the baker truth. Baker was going to be dead in three days. So if Joseph was a man of falsehood, he could just say, oh, it could mean this or that. The baker wouldn't be able to come back to him and say, that interpretation was wrong. No, he tells the baker truth. The question comes to us. Are we willing to tell the people the truth of God's word? Note that the interpretation had very rough edges to it. Your head will be lifted up from you. Your flesh will be eaten by birds truth that we have tells people that unless they repent of their sin, they will stand condemned before a holy God and will spend an eternity in hell. 
It's truth. Are we willing to be as Joseph and stand boldly and declare all of the truth that God has given to us in his word? What else? Yes, Doc. Correct. Joseph's trust in God's power to give him the ability to interpret the dreams correctly is so strong that Joseph, Joseph seemingly ties his future to the correct interpretation of the dream. Note what he says. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house where I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Some might see these words as Joseph's not trusting in God by presenting what he has suffered to the cupbearer. But I would contend that Joseph is taking this opportunity to present injustice to Pharaoh, seemingly, through the cupbearer, and for this wrong that was done to him to be made right. Notice that he asked the cupbearer to show him kindness. That word is hesed. That should be a familiar word to us. For in speaking of God's kindness, God's covenant-keeping love, that is the same word, hesed. And while we'll learn later on that the cupbearer doesn't show this to Joseph, keep in mind that all throughout the suffering that Joseph is enduring, God is showing his steadfast love to Joseph. Anything else? How Joseph's trust in the Lord is being displayed. Just as we considered what Joseph said in verses 14 through 15, Joseph's trust in the Lord is displayed in what he did not say as well. If what happened to Joseph over the last 11 years happened to you, would you summarize the events in the same way that Joseph summarizes them in verse 15? For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. That's what Joseph said. What could he have said? Yes, Francis. Yeah. Could have spoken for hours. Could have spoken for hours. Don? Well, he didn't say that God had abandoned him. He didn't say that God had abandoned him. Yeah. He said that he wouldn't speak of God. He said that. Anyone else? Notice that Joseph doesn't malign his brother's or Potiphar's wife. He doesn't. 
And if he had, people would have said, yeah, he's right. He deserves to let them have it in his words. Francis said, my punk brothers threw me in a pit. My brothers stole me off. Then my master's wife lied on me. He doesn't say that at all. Without an enduring trust in the Lord, Joseph would likely have been given to bitterness. A sin that would likely have been displayed in the words that he spoke in verse 15. Whatever is in our heart comes out. And when bitterness in our heart, and when there's bitterness in our heart, any opportunity for that to come out, where we see ourselves as being in the right for it to come out, naturally, it comes out. Perhaps that's only me. <laughs> no. That's all of us. But God has done something in Joseph's heart to enable him not to malign his brothers, not to cast blame on Potiphar's wife. Ephesians 4.31 had not been given yet, but we're told, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Some people would say that Joseph had a right to hold malice against his brothers, against Potiphar's wife. Think of those who have caused you harm or hurt you in some way, and then think of all that Joseph went through and how he responded in this situation. Have you responded in a similar way to the way that Joseph responded here? Even more, consider Christ. All that he endured. And remember what we read in 1 Peter 2, 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You responded to hurt by others and potentially harmed by others in the same way Christ responded to those who reviled him. Coming back to our text. It's already that the baker has received the truth of his interpretation as we close out this section. And so Joseph declares these dreams. And in three days, these men will see their dreams come to pass. And just as Joseph has asked the cupbearer to remember him, perhaps there is hope that is arising in Joseph's heart. As he awaits those three days. Scripture is silent as to the cupbearer and, and baker's responses to the interpretation. But in the next section of our passage, we see the interpretations come to pass. And that Joseph's trust in the Lord is tested yet again. Look at verse 20. 
On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. He hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Just as Joseph declared in three days, the interpretations of the dreams came to pass. We're told that after those three days, or on that third day, it was Pharaoh's birthday, which was accompanied by a feast for all of his servants. And while we're not given the exact circumstance of how the restoration of the cupbearer came to pass or how the condemnation of the baker uh, took place, we know that everything transpired just as Joseph said. Think about the news. Think back to the prison that these things happened. The cupbearer got restored. The baker was condemned and was hanged and is now dead. And think of the weight. What had Joseph asked the cupbearer to do? Yes, Terry. Remember him. Remember him. Tell Pharaoh about my case. Tell Pharaoh that I am here unjustly. So as Maybe one or two days pass, perhaps Joseph is thinking, okay, well, maybe this is going through the process of Pharaoh checking things out, and maybe I'm going to be free at, at, on some day soon. And yet, what do we read in 23? The cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Think of what has happened in the cupbearer's life. He's committed an offense against Pharaoh. He's put in prison for almost a year. He has a dream interpreted by this guy that's attending to him correctly. The baker's dream, interpreted correctly. All these things come to pass. And yet, he forgets Joseph. I don't know if I'd be able to forget that person. And so some commentators actually said that he purposely forgot Joseph. Scripture's silent, we don't know. But ultimately, Joseph was forgotten. And the scripture emphasizes the fact that he was not remembered and he was forgotten. Note that Joseph didn't know that he had been forgotten. Sitting there in prison, one day becomes two days, becomes a week. Weeks pass by and become months. Months pass by and become two years. Genesis 41 will say two whole years. So that we see that all this time, Joseph has been gotten. So once again, Joseph goes from this place of, this elevated place where he is 
interpreted these dreams correctly. He has shown that, that God is with him. He is a man that can speak and tell of the interpretation of dreams, and he has impacted the life of the cupbearer and the baker as well in telling them what was to transpire. And yet, he suffers the sting of rejection and continues on in prison under the false charge that had put him there originally. So, as we close out the narrative, question comes, how should Genesis 40 affect our lives? The points of application already shared included that we should seek to work as unto the Lord even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Secondly, we should not allow our suffering to cause us to turn inward and not consider when we know about it, act upon alleviating the suffering of others. We should hold fast to our confidence in God during difficult circumstances and display that confidence by holding fast to God's word and boldly declaring all the truths of God's word, even those truths that have rough edges. We should display our trust in the Lord by seeking to follow the example of Christ who did not revile when he was reviled, but continued to entrust himself to God, and by forgiving those who have wronged us, and not allowing bitterness to take root in our hearts. Any other points of application? How else should we be affected? Yes, I just keep thinking of First uh, Peter four nineteen. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Terry, hmm. you know that He's in charge and He can do work in our life. You know what? I'll give Him glory. Yes, enough. Okay, you don't see him working. Trust that he's working in your life. Amen. Anyone else? Alright, we should also consider these two final points of application. So we consider verse 23. Question comes, have you ever been forgotten? I would say that every human being has had to deal with being forgotten by someone, maybe not in the same way that Joseph experienced it, but we have suffered being forgotten by someone. What did you do when you were forgotten? Did you harbor resentment against that person or those persons? Did you just move on and try to bury the hurt? As God's children, we should always temper our trust in man. And that word temper means to, to, to weigh it rightly. Because we know that man will knowingly or unknowingly fail us. We should place our trust completely in God. God is the one who says in Isaiah 49, verses 13 through 16, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. 
Break forth the mountains into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people, and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And this is God speaking. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Though we may be forgotten by man, that doesn't mean that we should go to a place of bitterness. At the same time, we should always be fully placing our trust in the Lord, knowing that as his children, he will never forget us. His promise to never leave us or to forsake us. And secondly, we should remember that God is with us, which should give us great comfort in the midst of suffering. If you're in a season of suffering or when you go into a season of suffering, all of us face difficulties. All of us face things that we would never, we would we'd rather not have to face. But as we face them, listen to the words of David in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. But I have trusted in your Hesed, in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In this psalm, we're not given any evidence that everything changed from verse 4 to verse 5. The situation probably didn't change, but David's focus turned from the situation and turned to God. And recognize that he is trusting it and has trusted in God's steadfast love. And that though he may feel forgotten, he is not forgotten. And not only has God told us that he is with us, he sent his son Jesus, who is, as we studied this past Sunday in Matthew 1, he is who? Emmanuel. God with us. Christ is with us. In the midst of suffering, Christ is with us. In the midst of blessing, Christ is with us. And as we go through all that we may experience, though it may not be good, it may not feel good, we know that God is with us. 
but he's conforming us to the image of his son. May we allow that truth to comfort us, and may that truth help us to honor Christ, to follow the example of Christ in the midst of all that we endure. Any final questions or comments? Yes, friends. No. No, I'm not I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that we should be careful how much trust we place in man because man will fail. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that it's it's right that we sh- we we will feel that hurt because it's it yes we are hurt when we are forgotten. But even in the midst of that, we should continually be looking to and placing our trust fully in the Lord, knowing that even as man has trust has has failed us, and even in the Isaiah passage that I read. The Lord said, can a, can a mother forget her, her nursing child? And he says, and that's an impossible, that's virtually an impossibility, but there are instances where a mom will do that. But he said, even if these, even if your mom forgets you, I won't forget you. Your walls are ever before me. You are engraved on the palms of my hand. I cannot forget you because I am always putting my view upon upon you. Our life can be painful. We will experience pain. And if there is one thing that I have learned as I've been studying Joseph's life is that in the midst of that pain, God is faithful. In the midst of that suffering, God is at work. And, and it's amazing to me. Note though that Joseph is not perfect. <laughs> He's flesh and blood, like us. And yet, God has done something in this man's heart that enables him to continue to press forward despite Difficulty after difficulty, despite season after season of suffering. And I know I have a long way to go in learning how to do that in the midst of what are very brief times of difficulty and suffering compared to this. I don't think I've ever gone through a whole decade of my life where I'm facing that. But God is still at work. And we will see the work of God in this man's heart when his brothers stand before him. Because that will be his chance to do whatever he wants to do. And yet, 
What does he do? He forgives. He loves them. And so, that is not easy. That is not always a straight path for us either. But it is the prevailing grace of God that can work in the heart and overcome all that would come against us. Yes, Titus. No, we don't. Scripture is, is silent as to that. So we, we don't know. But we know it was a serious offense. We know that the king wanted them to be punished. Um, and we see ultimately that one of them was. Right, well, let us pray. Our God and Father, we come to you tonight thanking you for your faithfulness. Thanking you for your love. And Lord, even as we have studied this season of Joseph's life, Lord, we are reminded of the hurts that we have endured. We are reminded of those times that we have been forgotten. And in our study of your word tonight, pray that you would help us to have the same response, not only of Joseph, but of Christ, who endured the rejection, who endured the shame of the cross, who endured your very wrath against our sin. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to forgive, you would help us to trust in you in the midst of our suffering, that you would help us constantly hold fast to your word, for you indeed are faithful to your promises, and you will bring us to your expected end for us, which is full conformity to the image of our Lord and Savior. Lord, we do thank you for this time, and we pray that you would help us to meditate upon these truths and to consider these truths as we live out our coming days. And Lord, may we bring glory to your name in enduring suffering, but also forgiving, and also seeking to honor you in every area of our lives. We do pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.